Welcome everybody to episode 004 of the Core 4 Podcast. We're here the afternoon of March 5th, 2019. After a nice 5-1 victory for the New York Yankees over the Atlanta Braves, we're here, me, Andy, John, and JP, unfortunately, without the services of Max today. He is either where he told us, which is at a baseball tournament in Orlando with his college team, or with Bartolo Colon and his second family. We will let you guys know once we get official word where Max is, but regardless, we will be without his services again for this episode. But anyway, we saw a nice performance from Aaron Judge, a big three-run home run, giving us a little bit of a sneak peek as to what we're going to see in his 2019 AL MVP campaign when he takes home his second AL MVP award after winning that first one in 2017, as we all remember after that dominant rookie campaign. But unfortunately, on more of a not-so-joyful note, we saw that Originally scheduled starting pitcher Luis Severino was scratched from his start just minutes before game time, which I don't have to tell you is not ideal. But we were unsure of the circumstances of his scratching at first. A couple innings into the game, it was announced that he was suffering from inflammation in his right throwing shoulder. And then a little bit, you know, a little while after that, they kind of announced a bit of a rough timetable. So at least two weeks, highly unlikely for opening day. So we're probably looking at about a month when all said and done. What do we think? I think it's a, a, a it's, it's a interesting timing given that he just got the extension and gets hurt almost immediately. And Aaron Hicks is dealing with the back uh, issue, which uh, he cleared an MRI, which deserves uh mentioning it's not like he's gonna be out forever he just needs some time with he's the gonna miss, back, but yeah. it's it's sort of just like oh my gosh are you kidding me as soon as he gets the guaranteed money this stuff crops up but i think it's all things considered it's not the worst thing <clears throat> that could have happened and uh yeah, he, it's good that he said yo my shoulder is bothering me because he could have <laughs> tried to pitch through it and done something worse which is something that i think he would have done at the oh, end of last definitely. year especially during his struggles just to kind of like say like Hey, you know, I'm I'm good. I like I, this doesn't mean anything. I'm glad, especially now that it's in the spring, that we're seeing maybe this is like an enhanced communication between them, or like a little bit of maturity, or maybe it was just actually that uncomfortable that he didn't even want to risk pitching. But I think regardless, this is a bit. This is a best case scenario for the circumstances. Right. I mean, like shoulder inflammation, I think is pretty run of the mill, especially yeah. for a starting pitcher. We just have to find out, you know, kind of how it started and everything. But once we uncover that's the that, issue, though, because he's down for at least um, two weeks, and then like you, um, then he ramps up from there. Um, but then, then, yeah, exactly. In, that's in, even the, the scenario where you know, obviously, you'd prefer he doesn't get hurt, but if you, you know, look at the situation and say it goes from. Making his debut this late, which makes me think he might have been feeling some some weirdness. I think he threw a bullpen Sunday and then came into pitch today. And so I think it showed maturity on his level to talk about it. And also just, uh, you know, you'd prefer he doesn't get hurt. But at the end of the day, inflammation and shutting him down for two weeks as treatment is better than finding out he has a torn rotator cuff. I think they have the benefit of of having taken the MRI. They know there's nothing else lingering. They're not going to find some 
something else down the road from it. It's just, it's just inflammation. And I think they can be pretty, you know, that's but something it, is like it's a causing that inflammation. Kind of <laughs> well, you never know. That could be any range of things. You could be any, it could be any range of things. I mean, oh, a, yeah, a simple cortisone shot can honestly solve just some inflammation problems and then, you know, give it a couple of days to rest and everything and then get the strength back up. <laughs> Literally, this could be the most minor thing in the world or God forbid, it could be a little bit worse, but like, I think something so simple sounding as, shoulder inflammation is not what I see, you know, multitudes of Yankees fans sending that stupid fucking gif of the dog in the fire room and like all this shit. All right. Yes. We don't want him to be hurt. Yes. I prefer that he starts on opening day. Yes. I prefer that, you know, all of this was not there, like not happening, but it's not the fucking end of the world. No, absolutely. I, mean, I, I don't know. I it's don't know. not ideal, though, either. Well, I mean, certainly, nothing's ideal in this. But, but I mean, he made the right move by saying that he was feeling pain, and I think that the um the best part is that he'll have a chance to recover just from inflammation and not from anything that he could have put himself into. Um, you know, he won't have injured himself further from trying to be a hero in spring training, which sounds stupid, but maybe he would have done that. But he now, I don't know. I think it was, it was a very mature maneuver of him to just allow himself to, to miss time now rather than miss time later. I mean, this could have been like a lingering like issue though, too. Like maybe this is what like, um, um, like caused him out of like, um, you know, like, yeah, I, I feel like if that were the case, like, we Pedro did say though that he was hurt. Pedro says well, a lot of things. Pedro's Pedro a fucking and idiot. Him or t- like, I mean, you know, they're, I mean, they're like, they're like son essentially. I, think, I mean, it's like oh, that makes me. Sick. I think there's a difference well, between. I, I don't think it should because he turned into a good pitcher. So Pedro's also what happened? He's also one of the best ever. But what happened with with him was. Um, I think there's a difference in, in who's saying what, because Pedro Martinez did say that, that Severino told him he was pitching hurt or something to that effect. And Severino came into spring training to this year saying that he felt fatigued, which might've been a way of saying that he might've been a little more sore, um, having a little more trouble sort of keeping his, uh, conditioning and mechanics in the same mode that they always are in. And I think he, he, um, I'm, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think he did throw a career high in in, in innings in 2018. Yeah, I mean, and so, yeah, compared to what one other year, it's like you know. Well, right, because obviously the minor league season is shorter, well, yeah, and the Yankees always are protecting their younger, more prized arms, which of course Severino was as he came through the system. So uh, it's not out of the realm of of possibility that he was. I don't know whether you want to say fatigued or hurt or, or whatever you want to call it, but. I, I'm I'm not entirely sure that this is a case where you connect the dots from what happened last year and and immediately uh, rule it as the causation of where we are now because he he you know the Yankees definitely told him what to work on this mm-hmm. off season and there's a chance that maybe he did something different I know we lost he lost um, I think he lost weight he changed his diet he changed his conditioning to do more flexibility work rather than weights and so I think it just kind of comes with the territory of the changes that happen from and year I think, to year I think the the point of him saying that like maybe it was fatigue and I think that's not to be discounted because 
to somebody who hasn't necessarily had a history of shoulder or arm problems in the past, like Severino has, like we not, you know, at least not that we know of inflammation and fatigue can kind of go hand in hand. If you're not necessarily sure that it's existing, like in, with inflammation, it's like a, an extra strain. Like you're, you have to put in that much work, that much more work just for that, that ligament or that, you know, that part of the body to do normal right. functions. And with that, you're exerting more energy and you're doing these things. And obviously with that comes fatigue. I mean, if you have inflammation anywhere, if you have inflammation right. in, in your knees, your knees have to work that much harder for you to walk. And then thus normal activities are taking one and a half times the energy that they would normally take. And there we have fatigue. So I, I don't think that this is, you know, I don't think it's beyond possible that this is kind of uh uh maybe a side effect. What, what's the word? I'm like? not a side effect, but like a, um, a fallout, I guess, from last year and his struggles and everything. So for all we know, they could be connected. And then the, the two weeks of evaluation and all this stuff, the doctors find something and which would be, I guess, I guess it would like put the mind. I don't, bit, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think, so either, but I don't think I don't it think should be necessarily happen. discounted that fatigue and what we've saw uncovered today could possibly be, you know, I mean, they could go hand in hand. I think that's that's partially true. I think what I don't I what I will say is I don't think we're going to end up turning around in May and still be hearing about ideally. I mean, I've got my fingers crossed as I say this, but I'm hoping we won't be turning around in May and still be hearing about setbacks or further shoulder issues. And I think that that we've I think they got out in front of that by having Boone say at the press conference that the rest of the MRI looked I think he said pretty yeah, good or something like that. In, very in regards to, it was just, just, just inflammation is, is the best case scenario from, from, you know, right shoulder discomfort, which was what was said during the game. Who <clears throat> so, starts on opening day? I don't know. James, James Paxton. No, I don't agree with that. I think it'll be on um, Tanaka. I, why well, I, I, if yeah, I was Aaron Boone, I would say James Paxton get out there, but I think it will be Tanaka. He's done it in the past. Yeah, exactly. Yes, but he has done it in the past. I feel not to a very, not to a very good degree. I think it's just like a seniority, you know, type thing with like a, it is. I think it will come down to something like seniority, but like when you say that Tanaka has done it in the past, I saw a tweet today. Oh no, yeah, no. Where it's not like that's in those opening day games are existent, but they're bad. Because the during the day, and everyone knows he's not good in the day. Uh, he needs the sunglasses. Uh, this is a lot of uh, this. I mean, uh, I'm going to be real. I think it's uh, that's like sort of overlooking it. I mean, Paxton never started opening day with the Mariners mainly because they they've trotted Felix Hernandez out there <laughs> out of respect, since, essentially since 2009. He started. Yeah. If you go back to 2007. He started every opening day except for 2008 um, since and that was when um, Eric Bedard was still um, with the Mariners. Uh, so I don't know. I think I think Paxton's capable. I, there's no reason why he shouldn't, you know, except for if, if, if it goes to Tanaka out of out of I don't know. I, I think it will go to who is the more ready pitcher. And I don't know how it will be framed by the media or by whomever, but if it's Paxton, if it's Tanaka, I don't think it makes that much of a difference, to be no, honest with I, you. Honestly, I don't think like, it matters. It's semantics. It is semantics. And at the end of the day, we're facing the Orioles. So I can only hope that we're going to walk out of there with 
with a W regardless. You could honestly throw one of the three of us out there for a couple innings and maybe come away with the win. Oh yeah. But I think honestly, that's are we are we kind of sleeping on the fact that maybe they trot out Aaron Judge to start opening day? I mean, why not? <laughs> Might as well at this point. Who cares? Oh, jeez. How about Tyler Wade? It's Tyler Wade. See, God. that's that's how we get Tyler Wade on the roster, actually. Is this Severino thing, here's the silver lining. Tyler Wade has found his roster spot, and it's in the starting rotation. They say he's the ultimate utility guy, quote-unquote, all, all that good stuff. Oh, like, look at his bat, spring training, blah, blah, blah. You want to see... Opening day, trot him out Opening there. Opening day Tyler Wade. That would be something. Speaking of Tyler Wade, he's one of those people that sort of opened some eyes so far as spring training has progressed. He was leading the team in in a couple different offensive stats, and he's been playing all over the place so far. I think he's played third, short, second in the corner outfield spots, and maybe we'll see him in center um, as things go along. But I want to get your guys' opinion on who who has impressed you the most? And and Tyler Wade is actually not my answer to this point, but um who has impressed me the most in spring Why? training so far? Who who has surpassed your expectations? Let me clarify it that way. Because you can say Aaron Judge has impressed you the most, but did you expect him to hit monster home runs like the one he had today? No, I, 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 well he stinks. He changed up oh, his swing a lot, I think. But that's another discussion, I think, that that um I, okay, I think but, if I had to talk about surpassing expectations, I think the obvious answer here is Greg Bird, but I'm sure John is going to say that. So I'm going to veer towards Troy Tulowitzki for argument's mm, sake. That's a good one. Troy yeah, Tulowitzki, I really had no expectations. So if your expectation is zero, anything is better than that. So unless he was an active detriment to the team, I thought that was going to be... And, you know, something nice to see. And he has been anything but an active detriment. He's been actually actively helpful to the team. He hit two home runs. He's put up good at bats. He's looked like flashes of Rockies too low in the field. I mean, granted, a year ago, he couldn't move probably four feet laterally without tearing his Achilles or something. But I mean, I, I got to say that that's been, I, I guess, a nice surprise. Yeah, um, definitely. I, yeah, I, might have been Bird, I, um, but I feel it's obvious. Yeah, because I, mean, I love Bird. I always will. I mean, I'll yeah. get like hate, but he's hitting. Um, he's hitting four sixty two. I mean, and only yeah, that's the start he needs to but get. Still, he needs to get to a start. I think it's his dumb job, honestly, to lose at this point. Which I mean, it seems kind of odd. It's because he's a hefty, and you cannot say that. Doesn't well, matter. That's well, the I mean, only I reason he's on the team. Matter. Matter. No, you the can't. Team has said it no, doesn't matter. Wrong. Cashman has. That's, that's a total lie, though, and you know it. You, <laughs> he says yeah, this maybe. stuff in the media. I mean, Some what do you guys. think? He, what does he lie? Yes, he lies. Brian Cashman lies to the media for what reason? <laughs> With what incentive? <laughs> for a lot of reasons. Okay, give me a couple. <laughs> uh, Greg Bird being a lefty is an added bonus at the very most. Greg they Bird being a good hitter is also an added bonus. Luke Voigt, Voigt, for all intents and purposes right now, is a better hitter and a better player. He's hitting player. like 250. All right. Bird's hitting like 450. So, I understand. I understand. So, so the at most- this current time, I mean, it goes to Bird. I'm just going off the current time. I'm going Greg off Greg Bird could have hit 850 so this, this spring training, rather, 
and I think Luke Voigt would still have the leg up because he has shown a semblance. Then you're of, just of of aptitude in the regular season before. So has Bird. Oh come on! In 2015. 2015. What was I doing in 2015? I don't know. You're probably in high school still. Like yeah, me. I was probably but going through puberty. In it doesn't matter. But I mean, if you're saying that point, it's the same as Bird. It's a small sample, except it was at that a time. A small sample four years ago. It doesn't matter. It, it but it kind of does. That's the thing. It kind of does matter. Four years ago, I was not the same person. Four years ago, Greg Bird was not the same person. Four years ago, Luke Voigt was a, a drop in a bucket in St. Louis. And here he is. He has shown a, a semblance of aptitude in the major leagues in the regular season very, very recently. Aptitude is putting it lightly. You should pick up your It's phone, actually an yeah. insult. Oh, yeah, that's my bad. It is an insult to say that Luke Voigt has been apt at the major league level. He has, oh my God. You mean the, a, a lot of the metrics surrounding Luke Voigt and his ability to just hit the ball really hard and do it very often show that he's, it's, it's, it's not impossible to look at him and think that there's a real like 270 hitter in here who can work the count and hit for power. And that's what, I think that would be, you know, a great ceiling for him to hit. I mean, I don't think he's going to be a 300 hitter like he was before. I think, you know, he'll regress to a certain point, but I don't think he's going to suddenly be like a Mark Trumbo, Chris Davis-esque guy who falls off a cliff. Um, my my biggest surprise, and I think part of this goes comes from uh, off of last year, which people were saying was a, a lost year, is... Um, how good um, Esteban Florial has looked. Mm. Um, he, like, see, that's the thing. I was actually thinking about that today. I'm not going to like completely announce your point, but just a quick thought before I forget it. I was thinking about that today that I kind of watch, I watch him play and I'm like, all right, like he, he shows signs of being young and unpolished and like in the field, he kind of, I don't know, he looks almost uncoordinated or like overmatched, but like, He's still like two years away, and that and that I think yeah, he's only twenty. When I'm looking at him in this lineup of guys who are, you know, you know, top to bottom MVPs, Gold Glovers, Silver Sluggers, all these things, and then it's this kid who's like twenty one years old and hasn't even played an inning in the major leagues. He he's he's completely surrounded by just elite talent. He's and fast. Maybe as hell he, too. well, yeah. There's that. Maybe I he looks that. a little a little like, you know. I don't know. He kind of looks like a, like a baby deer out there a little bit, but like, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. I like what I'm seeing. I like what I'm seeing. Yeah. I mean, what, what, what I'm, you know, he's only played seven games. It's only 16 at bats. Um, he's, I, I know the idea with him is that it's a pitch recognition issue and that that's what is keeping him from being a, a almost, um, Un, you know, can't miss unstoppable prospect. But yeah. I saw him look at some very tough breaking balls. I saw him. He walked today and turned it into a run, stole second, moved to third on a pass ball, scored on a wild pitch, which is which sort of like I love to see that you don't see on the Yankees team enough. All in the same sort of it was like you you look down at your phone, you looked up. Oh, he's on second base now. You look down again. Suddenly, all right, he's at third. Cool. And then the next pitch goes to the backstop and it's another run, which is astounding. And he like he lost so much development time because he had to get the wrist oh, um, injury surgery. And I, I, I'm, I don't even think it, it 
I'm not even sure. I think he, like we talked about with Severino, um, making it known that he was hurt. I don't know if Florio went straight to the coaches. I think he might've thought, Oh, my wrist is a little sore. I'll try to play through it a little bit and maybe he made it worse. Who knows? But I think I came into, um, the, um, the year thinking that, um, I'm not really sure where Florial is going to be at this point. Um, and it's sort of nice to see that he's hitting the ball hard. It's nice to see that he's moving well. It's, it feels like he didn't miss much development, Yeah, which in my opinion was what I was most worried about was that he was going to come in, look lost, not be strong in major league camp and not even strong, but, but, but look bad. Like there's a certain level of, of what you expect from a 21 year old who's only played in the high A ball coming into major league camp. Like you're going to expect, you know, some tools to show and some to look, um, you know, not, not there yet, which is of course what you'd expect from a guy who's 21 years old. Um, I think his feeling is is translated well so far because like he had a little bit of trouble. Yeah. He, he literally like, he didn't read the ball incredibly well in that game against Detroit the other day, but I give him a little bit of credit because or not a credit, but like a little bit of slack because they were mentioning on the broadcast, how these stadiums don't necessarily have two decks. So it's harder to read fly balls because it's, you know, looking directly into the sun and different adjustments. But like, even with that, he's so fast that he just, yeah, he just appears under the ball. Yeah. Like I he's, think that's just a magnet. He did it today again. He like stumbled a little bit reading the ball and then, and then just completely made up for it. Yeah, the concern you have with guys like that who have so much speed is that they're going to um, start their career with the ability to outrun their mistakes with reads. <clears throat> I think that that's something that I think they're working out with Florial and something that they're also working on with Clint Frazier, for example. I know that they were talking about fixing routes in order to make them more efficient so that they can um, be more consistent outfielders in that regard. But um the the speed in center field, the speed on the bases, it's so, so, so dynamic. I mean, the, the, the play, I think where Florial had the infield single, you know, ground a ball in the shortstop hole and they still tried to throw him out. And by the time the throw got to first base, he was already, he had already run through the bag and was going back to first to, you know, take off his elbow pad and give it to the first base coach. So I'm, I'm, and, you know, I wouldn't say astounded, but I'm very encouraged by where he is at this point when the questions were going to be about is the wrist ready? Is his um, actual game going to be at this at the point where he could, you know, make an impression to a certain degree? So, yeah, Florio's my choice. I think he's been better than advertised at this point. All right. So we saw today that this morning an article or an article in the athletic was released. It was written by Eno Saris and it was kind of an expose of Sonny Gray and his time in New York and looking forward to Cincinnati, kind of diagnosing where it went wrong with the Yankees, how, you know, looking back, how to fix it in Cincinnati, where he's going to go from, you know, that, well, it kind of just, Detailing the timeline and the future timeline of how you go from a top three pitcher in the American League to a bottom three pitcher in in all of baseball, and then where you go from there. How is he going to like either regress back to a mean or even show 
you know, show us what his former self was in Oakland. And it was really interesting. The, it, it, the article was a bit of a, like a bit of a roller coaster, I guess, where a lot of Yankee fans weren't too happy about it. He seemed to be ripping the Yankees uh, coaching staff a little bit. He didn't seem to be very fond of the way that they treated him and the way that they were coaching him. And I think I have my, my theories as to why he he's had, he has some animosity, but I don't know, JP, what do you think? Um, the way I interpret it is, is there's, there was clearly a disconnect and I'm not really sure what I want to know is what was, what were the communications like behind the scenes? Because I feel like if Sonny Gray is so willing to come to the media and talk about how he disagreed with the way that the, the sort of philosophy that he was being guided with in New York, how much of a fight did he put up with the Yankees pitching, you know, people? Because I think there's there's a lot of people who are quick to jump to blame Larry Rothschild. It was really funny being on Twitter this afternoon and seeing oh, was it how funny? people That's a people it. funny in my opinion, but no, how no, people were, um, you know, everybody hated Sonny Gray for being bad. And as soon as as soon as he blamed Larry Rothschild, everybody was like, oh, my goodness, Sonny Gray is, is you know, Larry Rothschild is suddenly the new enemy that everybody exactly. wants to be, you know slandering or or whatever for whatever purpose and so it's sort of uh, like i don't know I, I don't i i have to read the entire article and i need to see what sunny gray said about it but i just i'm kind of sick of hearing sunny gray um not saying i had a bad year you know yeah. the yankees made me throw a shitty pitch uh, they didn't make you do anything. He's yeah, bad. He's terrible. He's a the coward. Thing, That's all. The it only is. thing the Yankees did wrong in this situation was throw him out there every fifth day. And even when they put him to the bullpen, the only thing they did wrong was even give him the chance to look at a baseball field. They should have put him in a closed black box <laughs> during every single game. They like th- this is assuming that they shouldn't have cut him, which they should have, and they should have sent his his candy ass back to Oakland or to fucking Nashville or wherever the hell he's from. The, the oh, thing man. about oh. it was was also they, they were talking about his his walk rate at home and how when he asked the coaching staff, they told him he was being unlucky or whatever. I I think it's important to note that every single one of his peripheral stats was was trending in a bad direction at Yankee stadium. And to a certain degree, it just has to do with the fact that he couldn't handle it. It's just yeah, it's Yankee totally stadium it. is small. He pitched well. I think that's worth noting that there were probably some stats in that skewed in his favor because he was pitching in the Mojave desert. That is uh, whatever the hell the name of the stadium is at the Coliseum now, because they can't get anybody to keep their naming rights there. Cause it's a terrible stadium. Um, you know, that stadium, there's never, no one's ever won a batting title there it's 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 cavernous it's massive and so to a certain degree that probably helped out when everybody who you pitch to there's a chance that they're going to hit a pop-up that goes you know it's foul everywhere but in oakland so the i I think to a certain degree that might have affected his his pitching and i think as much as the temptation to blame the pitching coach as much as possible is is interesting i'm just there was so much that he said and did this past year that sort of removed my ability to give him the benefit of the doubt. Oh, I give him no benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I don't I, Oh, man. So, like, the thing, going back to your point of, like, he, 
he probably sought answers when he realized that he went from one of the game's elite pitchers to literally, I think the only pitcher that might have been worse than him last year was, was um, Jolito on the White Sox. And I think that's because he had like a six and a half ERA. When you have such a fall from grace, you're going to want answers. And obviously, it's not comfortable for anyone to look in the mirror and say, wow, in just a year and a half, just in two years, I went from literally the best version of myself possible to a scum of the earth like Sonny Gray in base, you know, baseball related. I'm sure he's a nice guy. He's got like a wife and kids and all that. Not that I really care at this point, but you literally went from on top of the world to just rock. But honestly, I hope here, here's the thing. I hope that 2018 wasn't rock bottom for Sonny Gray. Not in that. I hope that he can, turn it around and forget about it. I hope that he has just the most miserable failure of a baseball career from here on out. I hope he never sees a day of good grace in major league baseball ever again. I really do. And I'm sure he's a nice guy and all his teammates spoke very highly about him, but you're a coward, Sonny. You're a coward. There's no more that I could say about you. Calling you a coward is actually all things considered a compliment. If I had the linguistic skills necessary, I would call you worse than that without, you know, being unbelievably profane. But like, I just don't understand how Yankees fans turned so quickly from calling for this guy's head every fifth day in 2018. And then after the playoffs thing with Seve missing the, the game, you know, the start of the game time and all that good stuff. And he, they found out he's tipping his pitches and Severino's decline was largely blamed. You know, the blame was largely placed on Larry Rothschild. And now after that was uncovered because Severino was the golden boy of the Yankees fans and he can't possibly do anything wrong. Not that I want Severino to do anything wrong, but once they found out that there could have been a lapse in communication from the coaching staff, everything is going to be Larry's fault at this point. I understand Larry's not the best pitching coach. I understand he has faults. But come on, these people are human. They're 24, 25, 26 years old. They make mistakes. People do things. It's not all about Larry. Larry's not the guy going out onto the mound and pitching. And I think Sonny Gray needs to understand that. And I think a multitude of Yankees fans need to understand that. Because I'm sick and absolutely fucking tired. Sick and tired of hearing the slander of the coaching staff when it's something that's largely out of their control and they, they, they're being used as a scapegoat by Sonny and by fans. They, oh my I God, agree. it makes me it's sick. Lazy to, it's lazy. It's to lazy. It's lazy in the, in the highest degree. Highest degree. And so everyone needs I, a scapegoat. I mean, that's the problem. Well, yeah, yeah everybody true. needs a scapegoat. No one likes to take personal responsibility for fucking anything. And I'm not surprised with this little bitch, Sonny Gray, that it starts with him. It starts and ends with him. Oh my God. I will say, uh, I will qualify the statistic that you gave about the ERAs. Um, for pitchers who threw at least 130 innings, uh, because Sonny Gray threw 130 uh, and one-third innings in 2018, there were 13 pitchers who had worse ERAs, and you were correct in pointing out uh, Lucas Giolito at <clears throat> number one. He had the worst ERA of anybody in baseball who threw at least that many innings. Um, worth noting, a uh, fan of the program, Bartolo Colon is number two. Um, Fuck you, Bartolo. Um, and what will be great for the Yankees is um, that um, <clears throat> there are multiple Orioles. Alex huh. Cobb, Andrew Kashner, 
Dylan Bundy. I, I, simply can't those guys. I simply can't believe that. So it'll be great for the Yankees. Had bad pitchers. That, those those three guys. Nice. Those three guys might be the three that the Yankees face in the first three games of the, the 2019 season. So I'm I'm ready. Hell yeah, that's great. So we're Aaron still on that list after the four of them or the five of them. So the the order that wasn't the exact order um, oh. with those Orioles guys, but it went Lucas Giolito, Bartolo Colon, Marco Estrada, Felix Hernandez. Oh my gosh, how he's fallen! Um, oh, Dylan Bundy, Clayton guy. Richard, Sal Romano, with the Reds. You, you know, here's the thing: that ballpark in Cincinnati is not much more friendly than Yankee Stadium. Um, Andrew Kashner, John Gray, Chris Stratton, Luke Weaver, Matt Harvey, were Dion Dell, Alex Cobb, and um, Sonny Gray at fourteen. So he just so stinks. It, he just stinks. Accept it. He's not good. Yeah. It's not the um. It's uh, and I also want to point out that it's not. Oh yeah, it's, it's not, not the slider. Fault. Fault. The slider rate. We don't the have to talk asshole. about it. The slider yeah. rate. They were the same essentially. Also, here's what I don't understand: is the if you're a professional pitcher and you're dealing with a professional coach, I I just like. I wonder what what Austin Romine must think as the guy who was who they put in to accommodate as the personal catcher. Like, at what point do you feel like I remember there's a quote, I think, in that article where he says he he scrapped the plan and then he threw two scoreless innings in Boston in relief or something like that. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, you know, if that was your great epiphany that you're right. Like, I, I just like. It blows my mind that it took you till that point. And I, and also at the same time, why, why did you, did you not tell Romine, listen, we're going to do this differently. Why did you not take that initiative and, and, and figure it out with the coaches? And I don't know. I think, I think it was a, was intentionally, you know, a, a, not a good faith thing for Sonny Gray to compare himself and his slider to Masahiro Tanaka's. Talk about how that is, is, you know, how that philosophy is, uh, how that hurt him. Because the interesting thing is, was Jay Happ came in midseason as a guy who threw a lot of fastballs and everybody was like, oh, my gosh, how are the Yankees going to change him? And I think something like it was a, like at most a two or three percent change in his fastball usage. And people are I have also seen similar commentary about whether they're going to force James Paxton, who's also a fastball heavy guy to do that. And I think, and maybe Sonny Gray is the impetus for this, but they're going to change. They're actively going to pivot on that philosophy of no fat. Not, it's not even no fat. It's just fewer fastballs. Of course, Yankees fans have to jump into the, the, the um, field of hyperbole and and say that everything is is worse than it is. But um, fans of the New York Yankees hyperbolizing things. And please don't stay furious on the Yankees. Never, never Wait, no. Um, so I think, I think, it, it, you know, good. I'm, I'm, I, my, my, my thing is, I hope Sonny Gray enjoys finishing fourth in the NL Central. That's the other thing. He's not going from, he's going from Yankee Stadium, which is not a very like pitcher friendly park, to another not so pitcher friendly park in a division that happens to have some very, very elite hitters. Yep, he's going to be facing uh, Christian Yelich pretty frequently Chris in the Bryan, NL Central, and, and I don't know. All these guys. I, I'm, I, to a certain point, and it's interesting how much it dominated the um, sort of Yankee-focused media today. But you know, 
I don't care about the number two or three starter for the fourth or fifth place bound Cincinnati Reds. I, I'm yeah. more intrigued about who will start in Severino's place. I'm I'm sort yes. of sick of hearing about Sonny Gray. If he, yeah. if you know, if he, if he's, a, if he ends up being the Cy Young pitcher that he was before for Cincinnati, that's great because they signed him to an extension. And so they better be hoping that he puts it together because otherwise yeah. they look stupid. So I'm just, I'm, I'm, you know, good, good luck. Good yeah. luck to do pitch how you want to pitch. If you're so brilliant and, and, and prove, prove the Yankees wrong. They should Seriously, honestly bring the, Sonny back. The Yankees should as a pitching coach, because he's right. Yeah. If he's, if he's that he's good. But I mean, let, let's let's think about it this way. They were able to add an extra pick in the draft. They were able to clear a 40 man roster spot for Adam Adovino. And they got the guy who is now listed as a top 30 prospect in Josh Stowers. So I'm just, you know, at this point, it, 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 it ends up being a win for the Yankees because Gray clearly wasn't happy, even though he might say he, you know, he has said some good things about his time in New York, but it works out best for all parties involved that he's in Cincinnati pitching in low leverage situations because that's what's going to make him more confident. I don't know. I don't care either. Um, so, so just, uh, I'm sick of it. I'm sick yeah. of it. He's, he's, he's never had the ability to, to take it on the chin and, and maybe acknowledge that he's not Cy Young. And so that's not Cy Young, the award, like Cy Young, the reincarnation thereof. Like it's just, uh, man, he is, so irritating. He's very bad at the game of baseball. And he's also just a very unpleasant person to have ever had the displeasure of watching play the game of baseball. I wish him nothing but misfortune. I wish him nothing but general uncomfort. I don't want to wish injury upon Sonny Gray because I feel like I, I do that all the time. If you look at my tweets. Yeah. See, this is a, this is a respectful platform that we're yeah. creating here at core four. I'm not going to use it to push my childish, childish narratives of wishing injury upon players. But I, if, if, if now I'm not wishing, but if Sonny Gray and his UCL ended up in a bit of a disagreement, I would not be upset. I would not be upset. And that is all I have to say about Sonny Gray. One of the fun things that that uh, happened recently, we were we were messing around. I think it was episode. Andy can correct me if I'm wrong, but we were talking about how Salvador Perez is um, constantly thought of as this um, deity in the um, you know uh, catching field in in baseball. Part of that is because the catching is is abysmal at the moment. Um, but it kind of got us thinking about. Um, if we could make a full team, you know, each position player, a designated hitter, a starter and a reliever of the most overrated players, we kind of we kind of were spitballing about how that would come together. And we did a list for underrated players. And so um, we want to make our picks, um, hopefully stir up some some conversations and we'll go through them quickly and um, sort of. We'll, we'll let each other know who's right and wrong, I guess, to a certain degree. And we also uh, and I think want it'll you be guys fun. to tell us who's right and wrong. If you guys yeah, have I think anyone, if you missed have, anyone that we shouldn't have put on, I'd love to yeah, hear let it. Us I'm know, probably going to say that you're wrong. But and still love to hear you it. You know what? It, it will be 
really interesting to see what we think, what each other thinks and how people react when they hear it. So I'll, I'll start with the overrated discussion and I'll start with my my group here. And so I've got Salvador Perez behind the plate. It's no surprise there. Uh, Eric Hosmer, first base. Joan Moncada at second base. Alcides Escobar, shortstop. Evan Longoria, third base. Jackie Bradley Jr., center field or outfield in general. Uh, Odubel Herrera and Kevin Kiermeyer. Um, honorable mention for the outfield, Kevin Pillar. And um, I've got Shohei Otani at DH. Rick Porcello pitching and uh, as my starter. And Joe Kelly as a reliever. Um, so that's my overrated squad. It's not too bad. It's a lot of Red Sox on there, which I really enjoy. Yeah, I think, I don't know. I think Porcello had one year in, you know, where he was actually an above average pitcher mm-hmm. for the Red Sox, at least. Well, he, he did win the Cy Young Award that year. But, I mean, he had, he had a, a, a 4.92 ERA 2015 a 4.65 2017 and a 4.28 in 2018 all around the year in, in, in um, 2016, where he had a 3.15 ER. Uh, that, that aside, you know, he, he is sort of glorified, you know, with people who look at wins and losses, especially well, that's the Red Sox he, had the, a Red historic offense nine, with the ability to nine runs to, a game for him last year. Right. Yeah. He got enough run support where he, you know, that, I think that happened a lot with the Red Sox last year was that their ability to hit, you know, um, allowed them to. Pitchers. That's why Erod had like 14 there. wins, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he um, <clears throat> the the average run support for Rick Porcello was five point nine three runs a game. He yeah. got at least the, the most common number of run support he got. But he had five runs scored behind him six times, four runs scored behind him five times, nine runs five times and ten runs three times. So, <laughs> you know. A part of it is when you pitch in front of a historically good offense, which, you know, the Red Sox were, they, you don't win as many games as they did with that, with a bad offense, um, especially not with Rick Porcello pitching to an over four ERA. Um, so I, I'm just, I, I think it's a little bit of fool's gold with what he did when he won the Cy Young Award, which that was, an, that was legitimately 3.15 ERA is, is yeah, nothing to yeah. Be, you know, I, I can I can concede that that was actually a good pitching year for him. But um, yeah, uh, and I, I, Joe, Joe Kelly, Joe, Joe Kelly was turned into a god in Boston because there's a picture of him right before he fails to land a punch on Tyler Austin. And he oh, ended up, don't. you know, that he was just I don't know. He throws hard. He, the best was when he guaranteed he was going to win a Cy Young in Boston and spent most of the year in AAA. So <laughs> like. I don't know, a 4.39 ERA, you know, with Boston and in his career in Boston, he had an ERA over four. I'm just like, come on. I sleep. I sleep. I'm snoring. So it's not what you want. Right, um, I'll do my overrated anybody team. Anybody have any, any issues that they want to point out with oh. my team? Otherwise I am, I'm good to react to some no, others. No objections, your honor, but so I'll go. Mine, mine are a little different. I had some, I'll admit that a lot of my picks were like, not a lot of them, but there were a few that I don't necessarily think these guys are overrated as much as I think they're overrated. And I also happen to hate them. So any thought, any, like anything I hear or anytime I hear their name spoken in good grace kind of just pisses me off, which 
plays into them being overrated. So I'll go down the list. Obviously, at catcher, Salvador Perez. At first base, I threw a little bit of a wrench in there. Anthony Rizzo. Okay, yes, John, he's a good player. I understand. He's a good player. I understand. I know I don't have to look at the stats. I've seen them before. I know. I I think I have is the point is the problem. But like, I don't know. It's just because I, I hear that he's like some inerrant guy. Like he's just this player that just can do no wrong. And I, I, I don't know. I don't give a shit who it's from. I don't, but anyway, at second base, Astros rants, if you're listening, Jose Altuve, Jose Altuve, I'm not even going to go into it, but I mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned before, Aaron Judge is going on his second AL MVP campaign this year, in, two, in the year 2019. Jose Altuve is a fraud. An absolute fraud. I'm going to let you guys figure out why, but he's a fraud. Shortstop, Carlos Correa. I, again, the Astro, like the Astros are a great team. Great team. But Carlos Correa, when are we going to, like, if he has another year like he did last year, this year, uh, when are we going to stop? When, where does the delusion end? Third base, I, I think I, had, I actually changed my pick, like, yesterday, but I forgot it. The original one that I had written down is Jose Ramirez of the Cleveland Indians. I hate Jose Ramirez. He's in my top three least favorite players in the league. He always will be. After that little, we're 3-0 at Yankee Stadium this year, cupcake tweet. During the ALDS in 2017, well, he, got, he got what he deserved for that. Oh, That's yeah, he what did get what he I deserved, think. but he's still breathing. So, yeah, not good. Definitely not good. Jose Ramirez is, you know, say what you want about certain players to down the pinstripes in the past. Jose Ramirez abuses PEDs. Jose Ramirez is so generally unpleasant. Oh, his presence makes me boil, makes me absolutely boil. He hit like 200 in the last two months of the season last year. No one wants to talk about that. It looks like he's chewing on tennis balls all the time. All right. Anyway, outfield in no particular order or anything. Jackie Bradley Jr., one trick pony, and he's not even that good at it. Andrew Benintendi, let's pump the brakes. Good player. Couple good tools. Pump the brakes. He had a nice catch. In one game of the ALCS last year, pump the brakes. He stinks. And then this one I get a lot of flack for too, but I just think we need to... Oh, actually, you know what it was? When I I took out Jose Ramirez because the most overrated third baseman in the game of baseball is, yes, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has, you know, all the prospect of being a very, very good baseball player. He hasn't, he literally has not played a single inning in the MLB. Not a single one. And, and, yeah, and uh, everybody's making it like he's a Hall of Famer. Like he's better, better than Babe Ruth. It's, it, it's, it is a little annoying to a certain degree, especially because you know so that he can have his service time manipulated, but it gets overplayed so like, much. I'm getting such Shohei Otani vibes from the beginning of last year that, like, regardless of what happens, Vlad is going to win rookie of the year. And literally, I think he go, he could go out there for two weeks, hit 260 and then win rookie of the year. It's entirely possible. I don't know. He, he's gotten 
uh, with him, there's just so many projections that he's somehow going to, you know, hit three, 320 and hit 30 home runs. And yeah, that, that was absurd on ML, MLB network said that. And he's, you know, it's, it's, it is irresponsible. It's dangerous. Honestly, it's, it's dangerous to think yeah, if he doesn't, do, if he doesn't do it, if he doesn't do it. It's, it Yeah, I agree. I think it's I think it's a little presumptuous uh, for him. And also, can we just let's let's um, share our collective um, disappointment that we must all be feeling for Brandon Drury after losing his job to Miguel Andujar in 2018, a guy who, you know, should have won rookie of the year in 2018. Now he's going to lose his third base job yeah. to the next presumed winner of the MVP, uh, not MVP, excuse me, rookie of the year award in Toronto when uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is eventually ready to play third base. I bet you, you know, eventually, eventually meaning suspicious, <laughs> suspicious, suspiciously close to um, the, the service time deadline. Uh, yeah, he's blind, but all right. So my third outfield position, I wrote, I wrote, Ronald Acuna Jr. He's a great player. He's a great player. See, that's the thing. Overrated does not mean they're bad. But like every time the guy, every time the guy breathes, MLB is tweeting about it. MLB, so they're like top ten pick in fantasy this year. Really, really? Come on, come on. I understand he's good, but like. Uh, and see, the thing is, I, I actually, I love the, like the current configuration of the Braves team. I love that team that, you know, I, I love watching them, but like, ah, I don't know. I just think he's another one. Yes. He's actually played in the MLB before, which is a bit of a step up from that fat fucking Toronto, but yeah, he did do very well, but I think we just need to slow down a little bit. Okay. Starting pitcher, starting pitcher, Patrick Corbin. Patrick Corbin, I'm not going to get too much into it, but Patrick Corbin makes me sick. This guy was waltzing around like he was prime Randy Johnson over the fucking offseason and the Nationals run and give him God knows how much money and all this good stuff. He is not good. See, that's that. I, that's what really distinguishes him from a lot of the players on this list is that I picked good players that just get they're good but taken as great or whatever. But Patrick Corbin is a bit below that he's taken as great, but he's actively not good at just, just to get it in there. Patrick Corbin got six years, 140 million, uh, six years, 140 million. No, no. Uh, I'd rather take Gio Gonzalez. Not at that price. Well, yeah, I mean, I always really well, yeah, that, hindsight is like, 2020, but I, I, you can't really sign Corbin with the idea. The, the, the idea and a lot of Yankee fans have been pushing this entire offseason that Brian Cashman needed to have signed two pitchers this offseason and uh, starters, excuse me. Um, and here's the thing. No one is going to look at the Yankee situation and be like, oh, yeah, I will be the the free agent major league starting pitcher who signs knowing that if no one gets hurt, I will be the long reliever. Like yeah. it just doesn't work that way. There was no way that the Yankees would sign, you know, for example, Corbin and Hap, and of course, having already re-signed Sabathia, it just wouldn't have. It just wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Sorry, that's a little rant. That's irrelevant. Yeah, people don't think, but relief pitcher. I said 
Edwin Diaz. Edwin Diaz has had one, like, you know, plus year as an MLB pitcher. He only had God knows how many saves last year because the Mariners run differential was one. It was one. Every day he went out there, it was a save situation every single game. Like, yeah, you're going to get a lot of fucking saves if you're, if you're winning every game by one run. Uh, like, all right, that, that, you know, that, that's all I have to say about him. All right. And my team? Well, my, yeah, one, oh, no, sorry. my DH. <laughs> Anybody who has followed me throughout the 2018 <laughs> baseball season, I, I guess I essentially made what I consider to be a brand for myself in my, <laughs> ultimate ultimate to the highest extent just absolute hatred for every fiber of Shohei Otani I admittedly my you know my roommates at school always tell me like oh you know when when he started you know when he first came on the scene you wanted the Yankees to get him yeah it would have been cool and ever since he signed with the Angels and his little comments about not wanting to play in the big market and, you know, telling the fans to be quiet and winning the rookie of the year. And John Heyman, John Heyman is so responsible for my hatred of this man. It's not even funny. And John Heyman comes very close second to, you know, my hatred list to Shohei. But I, I hope Shohei Otani never touches the baseball field again. Okay. Yeah, that's unlikely. But um, not that yeah, I want him I to be know. hurt, but I want him to be blacklisted from the league okay. forever for that's, disrespecting. Right. Don't the start a tangent here because I know you're gonna. Basis. All right, let's let's get this all day right. in and day out. My overrated team. Um, um, my catcher is the same. It's um, it's Sal, um, um Perez. He's you know he stinks. Well, he doesn't stink, but he's overrated. He's, First base is Hosmer. His contract is so bad and the guy just he's not good he's actually like he's not good second base is um mancada again the guy stinks he just stinks and everyone you know oh you know top prospect no you fucking suck third base todd frazier again he's a nice guy he sucks short you know father yeah <laughs> shortstop is um correa I like him a lot. I think he's good, but he's overrated. It's just that's all it is. He's overrated. Outfielder, um, Jackie Bradley Jr., everyone's favorite on this podcast. Again, he has a good arm. That's nice and all. He can't hit. Um, Yoenis Hespedes, again, he's always hurt. I like that pick. I and like that pick. when he's on the field, he's like... I don't know the term. I guess he's like not like consistent enough. He has a lot of like um, he has a lot of um peaks and valleys. Um, another outfielder is who you, you you hold on hold on you Billy, said you need Billy Hamilton and yeah. then go into your reasoning. He's fast and all, but he's like never on base. That's the thing. So I mean, like, does that even um, matter at all? If he's not on base, he can't steal. Yeah, I mean the guy has a, he's a well, two ninety eight on base percentage for the thing with him though with like um Gordon is at least he like hits though. I mean like Hamilton, he hits like two eighty at least, yeah. and like Hamilton like hits like two ten. He fucking was on my honorable mentions along with Trey Turner. <laughs> oh yeah, Trey Turner is very overrated. Um, starting pitcher is Arietta again. A guy, a big contract. He stinks. He was had a 
good young um, year in 2016, right? Or was it um, f- um, 15? He won a Cy Young. I think yeah, he also he won threw a Cy Young. two no-hitters. He was amazing. Me. But I just think he's overrated since then. Um, a reliever is Wade um, Davis. Again, a bad contract. He's overrated. He stinks. He was good for a couple years with the Cubs in um, Kansas City. And a, a um, DH, of course, our favorite is Otani. I think he's on all of our lists, right? I I could actually like. See, the thing is, I I, I like podcasts because it's they're all things considered short, controlled mediums, and they're not necessarily alone all the time. But I I like watching guys like like radio hosts like we see like the Stephen A. Smith show when he's not on uh, like First Take and Colin Cowherd and. And these guys who can go on TV or on the radio and talk just by themselves about things for like three and a half, four hours straight. I could do that about my hatred for Shohei Otani on a daily basis and never repeat myself. Yeah, but let's not. I think for a month straight today. Well, no, yeah, no, see, that's I've the thing. Seen you done it. This, this prevents me from doing that. But I think mm. if I really put my mind to it, I could go 30 consecutive days for four hours and not repeat myself on reasons why I hate Shohei Otani. Yeah. That is something that would lead me to advise you to seek medical care. Um, Yeah. I don't like We could say that, uh, that Andy's ability to um, talk on end for uh, no reason about Shohei Otani would be one of his more underrated qualities, which leads me to begin to explain my underrated team. (laughs) Uh, there. Catcher, I chose Yasmani Grandal. His stats oh, reflect that he's um, a mm-hmm. better player than what um, was magnified in the postseason, and he's getting a lot of crap for it. Um, as a result, he stunk. He stinks in the postseason. I, 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 the loser. At first base, I chose this. This 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 might be a little controversial in terms of underrated, but um, I think Joey Votto is is slightly underrated in that he's just been so good for such a consistent period of time. And he's just been stuck in a shitty situation in Cincinnati and you sort of lose the, the greatness that exists there, his ability to get on base. I think he he's never hit a pop out. Like he's never hit a fly out in the infield. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's it's because he's not flashy. He's like literally one of the best players in the game, but he's not flashy. He's like, yeah, he's kind of like Al Horford. He's led the National League in on-base percentage each of the last three years, and he last time he had an on-base percentage below 400 was 2014, and he only pay, played in 62 games. So it doesn't so, count essentially. So for four, essentially, he has not had a yeah. I mean, if you want to take that out, if you want to take that outlier year out, he has not had an on-base percentage below 400 since 2008, <laughs> which was he's, a long time ago. Good. So since the, all of those seasons combined, he's averaged um, 140 games a season with a 4.34 on base percentage, and he has had he's been an all star. He's gotten recognition, but I think he's got a, a level of greatness and consistency. It's consistency too. It's yeah. it's not easy to be on base 45 percent of the time in not one season, all. and yet he's done it basically every single year, which is astounding. I will I will keep going. I don't want to get too long winded here. <clears throat> Second base, Whit Merrifield. Uh, very good player, very you know solid on all five tools. Um, <clears throat> yeah, he's on my list as well. Shortstop, shortstop, Didi Gregorius. There's so many good <laughs> shortstops that you sort of lose, um, f- lose focus on who could be 
um, good as well, just because there is Lindor and there's so many guys that are so talented. But Didi Gregorius is a is a five tool player and he is, you know, you could argue that the sixth tool is leadership. And I think that he is someone that with his attitude and his uh, everyday sort of uh, ability to show up and, and, and play the right way is something that makes him one of the best players um, in the game at shortstop. Third base, I chose Anthony Rendon. The guy had a higher than Nolan Arenado this past year and yet has never been an all-star. He's a great, a great hitter, a great defender. I think he's league average base runner. Like I, I don't understand that the guy doesn't get any more love than he does. Uh, outfield. I chose Aaron Hicks, uh, you know, top five center fielder. I chose David Peralta, um, who's been yeah, hitting really pick, well yeah. in Arizona. I think he's been a very solid left fielder. He was also my pick. I think in my uh, my hot take for the season, I think the Yankees might be looking into trading for him at some point. Oh, my last outfielder was is Harrison Bader, who's been you know a highlight reel for the St. Louis Cardinals in a set in center field. A very fast, very quick twitch, um, athletic guy. Um, DH, I chose Giancarlo Stanton, and I'll explain it this way. I think everyone expected him to come to New York off of an MVP season where he hit 59 homers and be that. And the problem with that is when you win MVP, it's because you had such a good outlier of a season that you were that much better than yourself and everybody else that then the expectations, there's always a hangover. The guy led the Yankees in home runs and RBIs. And and the narrative is that he had a bad year, which I think is is a awful travesty. I think that that is such a disservice to what he actually did for the team when he he carried the offense when Judge was hurt. He wasn't on the team. They don't make the um, postseason at all. Like they won't. Oh, he he was. I feel bad that he was dealing with the hamstring stuff that that forced him out of playing the outfield regularly as when Judge was hurt, and of course that led to Shane Robinson and Neil Walker platooning in right field. But um, I, I just I just think that the guy was was astoundingly good given the hand he was dealt, and I think he handled New York well. And I'm 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 ready for him to have had that year to learn and to be more comfortable with it. Um, yeah, and starting to try to, yeah, go for it. it. No, it just nods the Yankees fans hyperbolizing literally everything. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the guy, the guy hit 38 home runs and yes, he hit 266 and yes, he struck out a lot, but like, uh, I don't look at the, you can't look at those things in an, in, in a vacuum because the strikeouts are related to the power <clears throat> and the power is related to the average and all this stuff. And when you walk as much as, as he does, it's like with Aaron Hicks, you get less chances to, um, when you do hit the ball, you get fewer chances, um, you know, fewer at bats because of course walks don't count as at bats. So you're, you're more likely if you get out more often, you know, you're, you're, it'll, it's reflected. I mean, Miguel Andujar hit 297, but had like a 320 on base percentage, <laughs> which is, you know, he walked four point some, I think it was like 4.1% of the time, which is something that, he, you know, that's an obvious hole in his game. And you can't look at just batting average. You can't look at just strikeouts when it comes to, to Stanton. Um, starting pitcher, I chose Herman Marquez um, from yep. the Colorado Rockies. I think anytime you have a, gr- a good starter it, it, out of Colorado, it's sort of like, oh, like, damn, because you kind of have to fight against um, all the factors there at play there. But he he had a high three ERA, 3.77, um, was striking out almost 11 batters per nine innings and walking less than three in, you know, his age 23 season. That is something that you don't see very often Wait, anywhere Marquez in baseball. Was still 23 last year. 
Yep. 2018 was his age 23 season. And so I'm just, he's the kind of guy that's like, damn, that's a, that is, he's shown a clear trend of improving and his peripherals have sort of um, moved in that direction. And so I'm, I'm intrigued to see what he does going forward. And I think that that's something that he, you know, he's in position to be a very good pitcher. And yeah. if, if he can do it in Colorado, that's what's that's what they've never been able to do is develop and maintain good pitching. Uh, and my leader was, was Jose Leclerc. Oh, I think you, you might have heard of him. He's the Rangers. Um, he pitches in the back end of the Rangers. Well, closing there per se. But um, he threw 57 and two thirds innings of one point five six ERA baseball, which is uh Amazing. He, he allowed 3.7 hits per nine innings, which is astounding. That's that's video game esque as a especially, you know, as a reliever. Um, it, it shows that he was really shutting down guys as they came came through and um, 13.3 strikeouts per nine innings. That's that's oh, my gosh, that's that's almost unheard of. Yeah, he, he throws. I think he throws you know, upper nineties and, and the spin rate is, is above average, which of course that combination, high velocity, high spin. Yeah. He had 99th percentile spin on 83rd percentile velocity, which is, uh, that's for fastball and his curveball spin was 75th percentile, which all of that comes to, you know, the, the spin rate is what we used to be referred to as like late life on a fastball mm. is that's what, that's where spin rate sort of pops into relevance and i mean this guy you know he threw a fastball slider changeup, you know as a back end reliever and he threw them effectively and he you know pounded the slider down in a way and was able to set up those other pitches and so i think this this guy is going to be unfortunately with the trajectory the rangers are are moving in it's going to be someone who um finds themselves in a lot of trade talks at the trade deadline yeah. because relievers with control are, are sexy. You know, they are the ones that are talked about and moved um, for huge returns. You saw Edwin Diaz. I know he was mentioned. I could as see being him overrated, on the Sox, which I they don't, the Red Sox do not have well, anything, yeah, have power. but they, but um, know. They, they'd have to trade major league talent there, but um, he's someone who's going to be talked about. Um, because I think he's he's still very much in the early stages of his contract and very much able to, um, you know, he's he won't be eligible for arbitration until uh, after next season. So another year league yeah. minimum. So, yeah, my underrated team. All right. Um, underrated team. I'm looking through this and. You know, maybe a little bit of. Bias, but. I got a few, not only Yankees, but a few former Yankees that have not been. You probably have Melky on here. No, Melky, Melky Cabrera, my king, is not on the uh, on the list, unfortunately. But catcher, Yankee legend Francisco Cervelli. Mm. I, I. It's kind of a weird pick because he's never, you know, he never really hit that upper echelon of catchers, but like. He's still right in that top like six mix, I think, of catchers after the the Garys and Posey and Ramos and them. And I think he he especially this year now that that stupid piece of shit Salvador Perez won't be playing. He you know he's going to be 
in that conversation a bit more. He's had some very good years put together. Granted, there was a little bit of controversy with the PEDs and all that. Whatever happens. Um, first base, Matt Olson. Oakland oh, that's, yeah, I loved it. That's my pick, too. I mean, their infield is Matt Chapman to Matt Olson, all-time combo at the corners. Their infield is quite, quite good. He's got a lot of power. He's a great fielder. Did he win the gold glove last year? He did. He did win the gold glove. Look yeah, at that. And then Matt Chapman. Yeah. Not bad. Uh, se- corners. Second base. Uh, it's actually just, well, that, that's the fucking opposite of what the Yankees have at the corners. I can assure you that. But we're so, noting before we move on too far. Matt Olson also won the Fielding Bible um, Award at first base, which is a league wide award. And Fielding Bible is a lot more credible than the Rawlings Gold Glove because it's actually based a little more on, on defensive metrics and has a, a more um, metric stink. You, you, you it's all the eye stink. test. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> sure, we'll go with that. But yeah, Matt Olson, very good defender. Continue. Right. Um, second base, a weird pick, a weird <laughs> pick, kind of like JP's Stanton pick, Robinson Cano. Now, my bias shows a little bit in this because, again, I adored Robinson Cano growing Future up. Future Hall of Famer is underrated. Future Hall of Famer is right. underrated because he fell from grace last year. Yeah, also, that's fair. Having been on the Mariners for so long and just and damned to mediocrity in Seattle, I think people forgot about just how good he is of a hitter. Like, I don't and he's he, you know he's I think that's a fair contract point. and everything. I think he is easily forgotten because we've become complacent to how good Robinson Cano was. I think that's it. Third base, Eugenio Suarez in Cincinnati. Eugenio came onto the scene last year. Our good friend Kyle, who is the commissioner of our fantasy baseball league, was you know he drafted him last year, and I you know we were just looking around. I overanalyzed everything in fantasy, and you know this kid's telling me like. This guy Eugenio Suarez is essentially your boy Nolan Arenado, but he's he's not. And I was like, oh no, 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 come on! What does he just have like the same amount of like home runs? And I'm looking at this guy, and I'm like, well, shit. He he is a very, very, very good hitter, and I hope he can maintain that. But like having you know also been in Cincinnati, which is just a shit hole in terms of baseball, he didn't get a lot of the credit that he deserves. So yeah, but also going back to second base on that same topic. Scooter Jeanette. Can't let you know, I can't leave his name out of this conversation. All right. Shortstop, Didi Gregorius. Don't have to explain. Aaron Hicks, don't have to explain. This one's a little weird. Adam Jones in the outfield. Almost similar to Robinson Cano, where he's a seasoned veteran. Adam Jones was never, I don't think, in that same tier as of, of hitters as Robinson Cano, but he has always been a very good fielder. His value in center field depleted a little bit with old age. That was going to be my point about Adam Jones. I yeah. was going to jump in about that, but yeah, just like Andrew McCutcheon moved to right field and saw mm-hmm. his defensive metrics improve greatly. You, you just got to know when you're not a center fielder anymore. And it, it, it happens with these elite, you know, freak athlete guys like Adam Jones and McCutcheon. And it'll happen with Aaron Hicks is that you are never a full time center fielder as you, you know, from start of career to end of career, if you're lucky enough to play in the major leagues that long, you know, the Yankees let Bernie Williams play center field too long. And it showed because he was awful 
in in the in center field defensively by the end of his career, which is you know not a knock against the guy who was great in his prime, but you get old and you just can't handle the fact that of all those responsibilities. And so yeah. I think a team that that signs Adam Jones with the intention of playing him in left field or right field, most likely right because he has a very yeah. good arm, is going to figure out that he is still a above average hitter and a much better right fielder than he is center fielder at his mm-hmm. age. And that's not a knock. It's just, no, you know, it's, father it's just fact. No, um, and then my other outfielders, Eddie Rosario on the twins, Eddie Rosario, I like that pick. he has been around for a while, you know, producing at an above average level last year. I think if I'm correct, he broke out a little bit more than he had in, in the past. Um, I just, I like Eddie Rosario a lot. He, he, absolutely killed it last year especially if i think it was in the first half he was just unbelievable i think like 320 you know 20 home runs at the break something like that you know good fielder all that stuff i like eddie a lot good for you eddie let's see more of it yeah he had a collapse in the second half he hit 311 yeah. um 19 home runs in the first half and then proceeded to hit uh 240 with uh five home runs in the second half um and it's also he I think he had some injury issues. I don't have the list in front of me, but he did uh, only play in 138 games. Uh, so he sort of I don't think he he I don't think his abilities expired. I think he just might have had some fatigue. And he also yeah. um, he also just, you know, it, it's hard to put it together that long. It exactly. just really is. And that comes with, you know, maturing into the league and all that stuff. So, Eddie, be better in the second half this year if you're listening. Um, starting pitcher, I said one guy, and then I also had another guy kind of floating in the back of my mind as well. The one floating in my mind was Jamison Tyon, Tyon, Tylon. It's Tyon, I believe. Tyon, Jamison. He's I, the assumed Tyon. ace of the Pittsburgh Pirates this year. He was fantastic he's, last he's, year. He's good. He's, he's like very good. He is kind of, I, I feel like I see him pretty active on Twitter and things. Like he seems like just like a no, young that's, um that's um i oh god i forgot his name but it's his um teammate but he's also a good uh, yes yes all right well maybe he's not maybe i'm mistaken but this guy he's projected and i've been doing you know multiple mock drafts for fantasy he's rejected like a 302 era yeah i had him i mean last year i think he had a three five and a lot of um yeah he was good a lot of so a lot of um a lot of strikeouts too yeah, I'm hoping for big things from him. But my my big pick there was Mike Fultonevich mm-hmm. from the Braves. He he's just a good pitcher. He's in that Masahiro Tanaka echelon. I believe. I think he's a little bit. I don't know. I think he's a little bit more consistent than Tanaka. I I like them as a comparison. But um, relief pitcher, I said Zach Britton because Zach Britton was for many many years the best reliever in baseball just hands down had the injury at the end of 17 and then missed some time last year came to the yankees had you know struggled a little bit people kind of forgot now he's not gonna be closing as much i just want people to remember that this man literally had like a 0.5 era that's not bad like he is unbelievable and we are just so lucky to have him on the Yankees. And if anybody doesn't think so, please. Yeah. Become DH, a fan of another team. Well, yeah, that I was going to say something a little, little less nice, but go somewhere else. DH slash utility. Shin Su Chu. 
Uh, okay. You see, the thing with that is his contract is so bad that he's not. Like, if anything, he's overrated in my opinion because of the contract. I, see, I don't. I'm not necessarily weighing contract too much when I think about these things because but he's good. I, I care less Last about what the front office good. thinks than what I think the media and the fans think when I talk about rating of a player. That's fair. You know, because like okay. if you look at contracts, Aaron Judge is very underrated because he's getting paid league minimum. Yeah, that's fair. No, but you know, yeah, that's a fair like it obviously plays into it. What, what a front office thinks when you look at it and they look at a guy he and they say, signed with oh, the intense of $40 million you know, yeah. or whatever he is, but I don't know. But and he then, had a good year last year. Very good and year. And then I just, a quick little honorable mention is Nick Markakis who carried my fantasy Mookie team Betts. for a long time last year, who is essentially Mookie Betts, but I think he's a little bit better, quite frankly. He's got the longevity. He's very consistent. He hit like 315 last year. With like 20 he home runs or something, he's a great fielder. A skid, though, a big time. But big time I, don't know. Skid, I, I but like Nick. He's a, he's a consummate he's, professional. Yeah, great he's player. like consistent too. Yeah, entire life. You, Nick. All right. Um, my turn for an underrated team. Yep. Um, um, for catcher, I had a, I had um Wilson Ramos. I think he's a, one of those guys who's just like under the uh, radar, but he's extremely good. Um, first base, like I said, I had Matt Olson. Second base, I had Witt, um, Mayerfield as well. Third base, I had Suarez as well. Again, the guy can just hit. I don't think he's that old either. I think he's like entering his um, prime now, which is insane to think. Yeah. Shortstop, Angelton Simmons. I, I think he's so good. Obviously, I mean, like the uh, guy is a lead in the... Uh, um, he's a lead in the um, field, but now he's like starting at a like hit now, which is a good thing to see. I think he's, I think he's honestly not top five, but maybe top seven, top six, like even at his um position. He was a five point five win player. I mean, he was he's on the way above. He was a nine percent above league average hitter, which is great when you're also providing the best you know, like, i think the best, best shortstop short. defense oh, yeah, in all of baseball and he was um a, an above average base runner as well so yeah um now i'm on my outfield i have aaron Hicks, uh, of course everyone knows i love him um starling Marte, a guy he's underrated i think in the um um um, because he's on the Pirates, he hits around two um um two ninety every year. He um steals. He's a good um um. I think he's a good um defender. Am I wrong in that or? Uh, JP, is he a good defender? I feel like do you have the stats. I'm working on it. Let's see. Um, um, sorry. <laughs> no, you're cool. Um, top seven above above league replace. I mean, he, he it, it, he's one of those guys that it, 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 his numbers hell, are slightly watered down because he might be a guy who a uh, a center fielder out of necessity and not necessarily um, an actual center fielder. He graded out pretty well there when he played there full time um, last year, 2018. Um, and he, did play, he didn't play any left field last year, actually. <clears throat> so he played every single one of his innings for the Pirates in 2018 in center field. And he graded out, you know, solid. He's not going to turn many heads but he also did not cost the team so yeah. he, he was he was you know defensive metrics are very flimsy when you look at him just over season and it's hard to look at him from a defensive perspective especially with advanced numbers because as a part-time center fielder you don't get as many reps and you don't 
learn it as much in my opinion. And so I think it'll take another year or two of him being a full-time center fielder to get the full, um, you know, uh, summary of what he is as a center fielder. So the, the answer to that is yes, he's a good center fielder, but, right. uh, yeah. and continuing this, I have, um, God, I have Ender and Ciarte. I think he's another guy in a lead in the outfield. He can, um, oh, he's an elite like, fielder. He's, yeah, I think in 2017, he led the league in, um, I think an average or hits. Yeah, he, okay. he was one of like four or five guys. In the league. Hits. All right. Starter from the Colorado, um, um, from the Colorado Rockies, I have um, Kyle, Kyle Freeland. Freeland. Yep, that was another one of the he guys floating around. Very good. Me. I think he had a two five ERA. That's just off my head. Which I mean, that is insane. Considering it's in course, yeah, two two point eight five ERA okay, and thirty. Yeah, so I was off a little bit, but still, even still, I mean, that's no, I mean, insane, it was, especially it's in crazy, Colorado. He had a um, he pitched fantastic. Two point, two point, he had a better RG. ERA. He had a better ERA at course. So Which, that's, that's a pretty interesting thing that, for your narrative. Yeah. Um, reliever, I had our guy Chad Green. He's just slept on his R one. People hate you. He could close on at least because twelve teams. They expected teams. him to like have the same like two thousand and seventeen, which is unfair to like. I mean. The oh, it, it was a, a horrible expectation. Not even horrible, but it's unreasonable to think the guy who he had a broke out to a one whip, right? Here. What was his one whip? I think it was um point like six eight. It's point seven three nine in two thousand seventeen. That's ridiculous. That's not going to be like. I, it wasn't sustainable. No, his hit rate doubled. His his walk rate so actually far, went though, down. This spring so he's looked good. Part of it was he was only throwing fastballs. And one of the things I saw from today that made me excited was he threw a change up. Yeah. He's been which, um, he threw a couple changeups and they look solid. So yeah. it's more, um, I think he'll have the ability to, to be a bit more of a complete pitcher. Um, and I, I, I don't think we've seen what, I mean, Chad green in 2017, I think he might've even been throwing three pitches. I can pull up his pitch. Yeah, I think numbers, he had a slider. I think he was also throwing the slider. He was confident in it. Up, and that right? was something that made him so unhittable. And so yeah. I think I agree with, with green being underrated to a certain degree and he could probably close on 12 he, teams. Yeah, on the socks. At least we know that he'd be oh, closer on the Red Sox. Um, um, a DH, um, Chris Davis. He's consistent as hell. Everyone knows that oh, if you're a fan. Oh, oh, oh my God. 240 C. Yeah. Oh, no, I don't mean the. the no, I, I mean the no, one in Oakland. Yeah. I, I meant the one in Oakland. Oh, God, I no. Meant no, the Crusher. No. Crusher. I, I was so confused for a second. No, I was like, about Are we talking no. about. Is this a joke? Yeah, no, but. um, Yeah, but Chris um, Davis of Oakland. He's consistent. <laughs> Testing as hell. He said, what, 247, 247 for each of the years. past three years? Three. I um, think it's three. 40 um plus like 40 plus um bombs every year he's like high ops he's very good i think he's underrated just because he's in oakland that's the only it reason. was it was four oh, years okay. all right four i, I should have been clear about I that going back the it, it's you know it was three years in oakland that's why because you said four not true um oh yeah milwaukee he, he, he was in well. milwaukee in 2015 yeah. but yeah they in the past four years, he did two forty-seven each of those three years. Um, he's had one hundred and sixty homers, and uh, it's pretty damn good. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that's my entire list. All right, I think that's everything. Yeah. Okay. Pitchers, DH. Yeah, that's yeah. that is a full team. Great. And awesome. you want to know what I think is really underrated? 
here's my my final take. You know what's underrated? The fans. You guys. Yeah. Keeping this shit going. So we really, you know, we love it. We love it. Can't wait to hear more from you guys. Yeah, thank you, Defang. We're going to make that the slogan or the the mission of this podcast is better. Thank you, everybody, Defang. It's... (laughs) Milky, uh, we're gonna get Milky. This is on our this second. This is our guys. second Milky Cabrera reference, depending on how this podcast is edited third. together. A third, yeah, uh, yeah. Depends on how I edit this, but yeah, we had a couple. We'll be talking about Milky Cabrera a lot and his lovely speech at the All Star Game in Kansas City. It's an icon. Yeah, it's actually, yeah, it's iconic. See, in my I life, put that up there. I'm putting that up there with the Gettysburg Address, <laughs> JFK's inauguration speech. And then probably Melky. And then I'm thinking it's the one like the Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall in terms of like impact on world history. I can I'm see thinking it. Melky I can see comes it. in third. Fair enough. I, I can't think of any others. Let's do voicemails. All right. So now, obviously, our favorite part of the show, we're getting to your voicemails. We're getting to your DMs. We're getting all this stuff. We love the voicemails. We love the fang. This one. All right. Let's see what Kevin has to say. Hey, this is uh, Kevin from White Plains. I just had a quick question. Actually, two to be exact. First, who would you rather have, JBJ or Clint Frazier? And two, do you think Andrew Benintendi is just a slightly better uh, version of Brett Gardner? I'll hang up and listen. Thank you. I think that's a pretty simple answer. I think JBJ he goes to sleep at night wishing he was Clint Frazier. Yeah, I agree. Dude stinks. We I talked get about it before. We all think we all think he's overrated. This is actually just really good timing. I have to agree. I have to say that I would I would take Clint Frazier. And in terms of Andrew Penintendi, or yeah, is he just a slightly better version of Brett Gardner? I think. That was only true last year. But if we look at 2017 and if we look at the prospect of 2019, Brett Gardner is going to blow Andrew Benintendi out of the water. I don't yeah, even think it's going to be close. So far in the spring. I don't think it's going to be close. So Kevin, thank you for the question. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's going to be close. It's going to be night and day. Brett Gardner being better this year. All right, let's see what uh, Andrew has to say. Hey guys, Andrew from Hell's Kitchen. Uh, I want to talk about Paxton. So uh, I remember last year, uh, like I, was, I listened to an episode of the Bronx Pinstripes, and uh, they had this guy, uh, Mike Petriello, on it, uh, Statcast guy, and he talked about how having like a middle of the pack spin rate fastball isn't necessarily a good thing. Uh, like with Nathan Avaldi, which is why, despite him throwing. Uh, 100, it always got hit hard, and Paxton uh, sort of had that same problem. And uh, I took a look at some of the the StatCast stuff, the uh, pitch usage, and it turns out uh, Paxton uh, only threw his cutter last year uh, 14% of the time. So uh, my question is, if you're uh, Larry Rothschild, do you do you uh, leave well enough alone when it comes to Paxton, or do you think he can... Uh, take that next step, kind of like Avaldi did by uh, throwing his cutter more often. Thanks, guys. 
Oh, and also uh, maybe taking up his uh, knuckle curve percentages a little too. Thanks, guys. Uh, I think it's an interesting comparison. Yeah, I certainly in, do. In some respects, and in some respects, not. And I think it's an awesome question to sort of <laughs> look at past performance and past tendencies of the Yankees to to put um, James Paxton into the team that doesn't exactly believe in throwing a ton of fastballs when you have yeah. James Paxton who threw a four seamer 63.6% of the time. Um, and the thing about spin rate is you don't want to be middle of the pack per se, where James Paxton just conveniently happens to be 54th percentile. Yeah. Um, which isn't the thing is you want to either be below or above because below will, will create a different look as well as above creating a different look. But middle is, is obviously just your average fastball. Yeah. The thing about it is, is Evaldi was 57th percentile in spin rate. And I think he did throw his cutter. He went up from 2016 throwing his cutter 10% of the time, 10.2 to be exact, to throwing it um, 33% of the time, I believe it was, um, in 2018. Which um, I think it has to do a little bit more with with the way the pitches are set up. I think looking at the I have a bunch of pitch graphs in front of me and um, Evaldi threw a ton of fastballs up in the zone. And that's where he got a vast majority of of his um, swing and misses, at least with fastballs, was up. And that's something that James Paxton does very well um, Mm. also. But I think I think the key will be the sort of ability for him to to manipulate hitters with uh, location. And he has shown so far in spring and from what I've watched when he was with Seattle, he's very good at, at, at hitting his spots on the corners. Yeah. See, that's and what I've noticed too. that was one of the things that he will get better results from now because Gary Sanchez is such a good framer is mm-hmm. he will have the ability to steal a couple more strikes um on both corners which is awesome for him because that will allow him to set up uh curveballs uh and the cutter as well and so i think i think we might see fewer four seam fastballs and more cutters i think that is something that could be um a strength for for james paxton just because it is something different. He throws his cutter hard. It's almost like a little bit of a hard slider. He throws an yeah. uh, average of 89 miles, whereas that comes off of a 95 mile an hour fastball average. Um, and so I'm, I'm not sure if I can predict that it'll be better. I mean, Evaldi ended up throwing almost an equal amount of cutters as he did four seamers. And he also, um, Used a splitter, a slider, and a curveball. Um, I I just sometimes you 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 end up with results that are skewed because of the sample. And I think Yankee fans see Nathan Avaldi in a red uniform and holy crap! Like we got like we got rid of this guy and now yeah, he's doing this too. stuff against us and all that stuff. But if you allow me to to take you on a little tour through. Uh, Nathan Avaldi with the Red Sox um, against the Yankees. He had a um, a nasty 0.00 ERA, 16 innings. He did not allow a run. He, yeah, excuse me. He allowed one and it was unearned. 
Um, but he had 13 strikeouts in 16 innings. Um, and OP, uh, batters against him hit uh, 115, which is obviously not great. Uh, against non-Yankees teams, so everybody else that he faced when he was with the Red Sox, um, he didn't. He wasn't as elite as he looked. It's it's he had a 4.74 ERA against everybody else with the Red Sox. According to and my Yankees, calculations, that's uh great. So uh, it's he was a little bit of fool's gold, and it looked more like it because he dominated the Yankees and got you know was made into a god because he pitched into that extra innings game and in the lost. World Series. Yeah, and they lost the game. So I, I don't know. I'm I'm not sure the increased cutter usage will do much more than allow Paxton to have a bona fide third pitch because he doesn't really throw a changeup at all. He threw it um, eleven times last year. So, and that's down from throwing it fifty five times in 2017. Which for a pitcher who throws, you know, thousands of pitches in a season, it, it doesn't. It doesn't work like that. So I'm I, I think we'll see a, some similar pitch percentages. I think we might see more change ups and maybe some more cutters. But I don't think that that's going to be a um, I don't think a dramatic shift in pitch usage will come with um, James Paxton this year for a much shorter point about James Paxton and a less analytical one admittedly i think that the presence of andy pettit will help james paxton a lot become a little bit more finesse because while he throws hard i think i've always seen him maybe this is my you know misguided interpretation but i think that he's always been a little bit more of a finesse andy pettit style who just happens to throw 97 miles an hour and i think the presence of andy pettit who had such a good cutter will help Paxton develop that. And I think we've already seen their friendship. Yeah, well, yeah, Sabathia too, obviously. I mean, he's, he's kind of one of the lefty standards for the cutter. And I think we've already seen the, the relationship cultivate a little bit between Pettit and Paxton because they, I think they are so similar. And I think that's going to be a, uh, bit of a, a nice tool to have. Having yeah, it's um, certainly going to help. Two of the better lefty pitchers of the past two decades. Yeah. The, a one is your teammate and B one is working for your team. So, um, if anything, it'll just lead the, the cutter to be a better pitch. Um, what they do with the amount of times it's thrown, it, it doesn't exactly guarantee that it's going to be a better result. Um, but assuming he doesn't gain or lose in absurd amounts of spin and assuming that he keeps a lot of his stuff the same, I think maybe, there's no guarantee that a change in in pitch philosophy will will create different results um and as we've seen with the sunny gray fallout um Ugh. you kind of have to be on the same page with your guy because clearly the yankees and sunny gray weren't um and whether or not they tried to fix that is a whole other problem but i think paxton will be similar in his philosophy to the past year because um that's what the Yankees traded for and they don't really want him to be a different guy. I agree. All right. Next one. We're looking at John asking a question. That's kind of funny. We had two callers who had the same names as two of the hosts. What do you look at that? Just some fun little stuff. Yeah, this is uh, John from North Haven. Um, I wanted to see what your opinion was on why 
so many uh, Yankee fans feel that we should have added uh, either Harper or uh, Machado or uh, both of them into a lineup that uh, won 100 uh, games last year and led the league in home runs, where what caused them to lose was not enough uh, depth in the starting uh, rotation, um, which I think they uh, helped themselves by adding the pitcher. Um, I want to hear what your opinion is. Thank you. Uh, I'll, I'll start by saying people wanted Harper and Machado because they were the shiny. T- they were the sexy, you know, people on the market. They were the guys, the top yeah. two. And so it, it's, I don't know. I don't find it unreasonable that the Yankees fans wanted them, but I, I, I do agree with the fact that I only guided a little bit. I think I personally no, I agree with that. was, was from the point of view that the only person who made the most sense would be if you signed Bryce Harper to play left field. Yeah. I think the, the, I, the idea of signing Machado to be shortstop until DD got back and then third baseman, when you then trade Andujar for an ace, just, it seemed like that, that's some MLB the show stuff. Yeah. It, it, was, does, it never would have worked in the way that most Yankees fans thought. And I also they, was they, never they think they on the, just, you just make it like click of a button. Like essentially, yeah, like you said, like the show. The fans thought, like, for some reason, the fans thought that's like, like that's why they got under uh, the uh, tax. Like, they did not like say that they got under the tax. I mean, I mean, because it, it was smart from sense. a business Everyone perspective. Like, oh, they got under the tax to um, sign them. They never said that. They never did. Well, it's like, against oh, the CBA for them to mention yeah, specific they did not lie. Front, That's no, they did stupid. not lie. It's just the fans. They they just assume because <laughs> so uh, it, it just they contort them, the media and their antics. They yeah, brainwash everyone. Way, there were New York Post um, covers that, that, photoshopping yeah, Harper, Harper and Machado, Machado to Yankee uniforms. You know, from three years ago, and it it looks like in a certain way that ends up shaping the narrative because those photos accompany you know flashy headlines and chirons mm-hmm. about uh, how these guys will be on the yankees radar which i think it, it's true to certain degree, so to believe it too but i want it, but yeah obviously i like i wanted uh harper a little bit more obviously but like i'm not upset I, but like they know that surprise me the way like, played are, uh, yeah no it didn't surprise me either but and i i like the, the question uh, Oh well, a no. well, quick point for you. Yeah, like we saw um, Feinsand own a particular Yankees fan, who I will not mention his name for my own personal health. We saw him absolutely wreck him on Twitter the other day, talking about like you know getting under the tax and how it was kind of more of a smart business decision, and how like just because they can spend doesn't mean they necessarily need to just for spending sake and how maybe back then it was a poor business model and all these things. And like, there's not, there's nothing inherently wrong just because you're the New York Yankees doesn't mean you're obligated to, to manage your business financially with some financial irresponsibility. And I think that's what we're starting to, to realize this year is that people, yeah, that may be the culture. It's, now. It, the funny thing is it's a team that won a hundred games that you're adding to, um, and the sign everybody Yankees 
won a ring in 2009 and that's it. They, their success in the, yeah. in the nineties was because they had four or five, four or five guys who were, you know, it, the, the makeup of the 90 late nineties dynasty is more similar to the current Yankees team. Yeah. than 100%. The mid two thousands teams that never could get over the hump were, and that was, it's, look at the 1980s. It's, it, it's, it's interesting just because you look at it and there's, there's, you can't really, <clears throat> a lot of fans will say that this was the worst hundred game winning team you've, you know, they've ever seen, which is just kind of dumb if you ask me, but, um, the, the, um, the reality of it is you don't have to reinvent the wheel when you know that a vast majority of those guys are coming back. And to the point of the question, what I'll say is that the team is better now because you take out Sonny Gray and the revolving door that was with, um, Herman Loisica, um, et cetera, after Montgomery got hurt and you have James Paxton, one of the best lefties, you know, probably top three in like probably like Blake Snell and someone else who I'm not thinking of ahead of him. Um, and then you, you, you make that replacement and you get a full year of J Hap and that's, that's Mm -hmm. infinitely better, not infinitely, but you know, it's, it's better. It's it's definitely better. better than, than last year. And so I, I think shoring up the rotation was something that was never, there was no mystery about that being the intention of Brian Cashman. And he said, I want starters. He got Paxton. He got Hap. He said he wanted relievers. Got Britain and Ottavino. And, and, you know, I think it was smarter to, to shore up the pitching. And I think you might see a Gio Gonzalez signing. I don't I think, think Keiko's going to happen. Sure. So Keiko's not going to happen. No. I think he just doesn't make sense because he'll want a long-term deal. I think he'll get a long-term yeah. deal. He um, stinks but too. If, if, if it would be, it would be Gio Gonzalez on a, you know, $4 million deal or something like that. But I, I, I don't know. People wanted Harper and Machado because they were the top elite guys and because they're young and you can, there's, there's clear appeal, but uh, I don't know. Box I don't think you can really go wrong. Yeah, I agree with that, but I don't know. I yeah, like, what, I don't think what, it's enough. I like the way the winter played out. Yeah. But yeah. So thank you guys as always for tuning in. Uh, we love answering your questions. We love the feedback, the comments, the the DMs, all like the replies to the tweets, all that stuff is it's awesome. Uh, we're about three weeks out of the season, almost to the day. Uh, we can't wait. Obviously, you guys can't wait either. We can't wait to ramp up the content, ramp up you know the the episode production, all this stuff for you guys. Um, it's been awesome, so awesome so far. Don't forget, subscribe, rate, spread the word, retweet, call in, DM, all that good stuff. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. Next week, we're going to have Max back. He's going to be back from either his baseball tournament or his second family. We're going to let you guys know. Don't worry. Um, We'll be grilling him with questions next episode, and you guys can do the same. Uh, Again, thank you, as always, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.